37 tonight. Isaiah chapter 37. <clears throat> we'll look at an incident in Scripture that's recorded in four different places. And we pray that tonight that the Lord would speak to our hearts. Actually, three different places, but uh, mentioned the same in each case. Isaiah chapter 37. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a King James Bible, if you take a moment to share your Bible with them, that would be a blessing. <clears throat> and I want you to go down to verse 14, please. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 37, verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God. Even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which has sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed, destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Go down to the end of the chapter. Look to me if you would, please. We're doing good on time. I'm going to read the end of the chapter. Go down to verse 37. <clears throat> So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. So, excuse me, go up some, I'm sorry. Go back up to verse 35. I meant to go to verse 35 there. For, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servants David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. That's a hundred eighty-five thousand. When they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, that Adramelech and Sherezer his sons smote him with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Armenia, and his heart and his son reigned in his stead. This evening, Father, we pray that you would just help us tonight as we consider uh, this vital passage of Scripture, God, its timeliness, Lord, as you speak to our hearts, those who are assembled here and those who are watching by live stream because of impairment or uh, providential hindrance. And tonight, God, I pray that you show us how to pray like Hezekiah prayed. And God, teach us to see the phenomenal, Lord, when we're in the flesh. And help us, God, to see the supernatural God over the natural of man and the possibilities of God over the impossibilities of man. We pray tonight that you'd help us to see and identify with the principles found in this passage of Scripture and other verses we'll be reading, and that through this, Lord, tonight, that you'd show us the pathway and, di- and direct us into that way which would help us to be victorious in Jesus Christ, your Son. The Bible says, The entrance of thy word giveth light. And we pray tonight that your word would be a, light into, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We pray that tonight that you'd sanctify your people through truth, through thy truth, for thy word is truth. We pray tonight that, God, that you would stir our hearts and help us to focus in on maybe some things that need to be prayed over that perhaps we've just left on the wayside and not given attention to. We pray tonight that all of our hearts would be good soil upon which the word of God would fall upon, good soil that would bring forth 25, 15, 100-fold fruit. We pray tonight that the that you'd help us as the precious seed of your word is being sown, that it would not wind up on wayside soil or shallow soil or thorny soil, but tonight, Lord, we pray that as we, we've asked earlier for it to be on good soil, that, God, it would be a great work tonight. Father, raise up maybe tonight a George Mueller. Raise up, I pray, tonight a Hudson Taylor. Raise up, I pray, tonight a David Livingston. Raise up tonight, I pray, God, a, a D.L. Moody. Raise up tonight, God, maybe another Lee Robertson, another John R. Rice. Father, tonight we ask that the Spirit of God would stir our hearts this evening, help you see the vastness of what can be done. Father, anoint me, pr- enable me. I pray for your preciousness upon this congregation. Love them through your word. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Our chapter tonight revolves around a time in Hezekiah's life when he was under attack. The word attack refers to an unwarranted adversarial encroachment. In other words, 
It means to set upon in a forceful way with or without violence, to set upon with much aggression, and to begin fighting with. And of course, if we think of the word attack, the word attack has been a, it's kind of an adverb that describes um, uh, many different types of things. For instance, someone who may be, may be dealing with bees would describe a bee attack if they were attacked by bees. Or someone that has a, a heart problem, they would describe their heart situation if they've had a heart attack. We've seen the word used in that context, a bee attack or heart attack. Or maybe one that many of you probably can identify with, and I know several in our church identify with, a panic attack or, or an anxiety attack where it's just something overcomes them. And those are very real things that happen with people. And of course, in our own soil, we're familiar with a terrorist attack where terrorists... Uh, uh, terrorists have, a, have attacked, attacked a group of people. This evening we're looking at how Hezekiah was under attack, how he found victory over attack. We saw last week as the first of four messages on Hezekiah, his name means whom Jehovah strengthens. Jehovah was the strength of this man Hezekiah. <clears throat> Hezekiah, as we come to, as we started out last week, he was 25 years of age when he came to the throne. He would be on the throne for 29 years. He would live for 54 years. We saw him last year in the first, last time at the first year of his reign. Tonight we see him in the 14th year of his reign. We're going to see this evening that in this 14th year, there's a lot that happens in this man's life. There's a lot that happens that tests his faith. You might consider and say that <clears throat> the Lord used the first 14 years of his life to, the first 13 years to really just do some things to prepare him for that 14th year. Now, as we look at this, we saw that, that in, that there's four significant events that happened in Hezekiah's life during these 14 years. Because the last 15 years of his life, they basically are empty years. Nothing really happens that's substantial. The most substantial things happen in his life. And during those first 14 years, we see how the, the name that he was given at birth, whom Jehovah strengthens, we see how that all comes to fruition, that God was the one that strengthens him in his, in his life. Last time we saw Hezekiah strengthen in his faith, in his fervor, and in his function. Tonight we see how Hezekiah is strengthened in overcoming an attack or strengthened against the foe. All of us know that we have spiritual enemies. All of us know that our chief enemy is Satan. Right alongside of that is, is the flesh and the world. And we know tonight that the, that the attacks from Satan are real. They're, 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 we can never plan for them. They can happen un, unannounced. They're, they're attacks that occur all of our lives. It could be very well tonight that some of us in this room are under some kind of a spiritual attack. A panic attack is an attack that's instigated by Satan. Whatever it may be, a spiritual attack is an attack instigated by the evil one. And so as we look at this, God is working in Hezekiah's life. And we notice that this incident in Scripture is so important. It was so important by, given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. It's recorded here in Isaiah 36, Isaiah 37. It's recorded for us over in Second Chronicles 32. It's recorded for us over in 1 Kings 18 and 19. I mean, it's so important that God wanted us to capture what happened in Hezekiah's life and how he overcame the attack. We must remind ourselves that what God does through Hezekiah is possible for your life and mine as well. There too, in almost every situation. And I say almost because it's predicated upon whether or not our faith is in the same place that Hezekiah's faith was when this attack occurred. In 1 Kings 18.5, we saw last week, it says this about Hezekiah's faith, that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him, among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. And I think that stands out for us because he was un unlike the kings before him. He was unlike the kings after him. He trusted in the Lord God. He was strengthened in his faith. He was strengthened in his fervor. He was strengthened in his function. And tonight we want to explore this evening, what do you do when you're under attack? How do you overcome attack? Are the principles of Scripture, are they applicable to any kind of attack that happens? What can we do? How can we respond to his spiritual attack the runder. I want you to notice how Hezekiah overcomes this attack. Notice, first of all, go back with me to chapter 36. And I want you to notice, first of all, the perplexing problem in Hezekiah's life. The perplexing problem in his life. Hezekiah, as I mentioned, is in the 14th year of his reign. It starts off in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah. As I mentioned earlier, the record of this problem, this attack, is in chapter 36, chapter 37, Second Chronicles 32, 1 Kings 18 and 19. 
the record of his problem. Notice how these problems unfold, if you want, his life. First of all, would you notice the coming of this problem? In verse 1 it says, Now it came to pass in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, notice this, came up against all the defense cities of Judah, and they took them. Notice in Second Chronicles 32 how it's worded there in verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> After these things, that's important to understand. After these things and the establishment thereof, which is talking about all the things that were accomplished in that first year, because our focus is on that first year of all the things that, that he did for the glory of God. It says that after these things and the establishment thereof, it says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come, that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem. There's the coming of the problem. Attacks always come on the heels of great accomplishments, decisions, and victories. Young people, our, college, our high school students, recently came back from a victorious week of camp. Attacks come on the heels of accomplishments, victories, and decisions. In the room tonight, invariably, there's some of you who've made some important decisions this past several weeks. Some made decisions about the missions conference, and there's a great accomplishment there. Some are coming off the heels of great answers to prayer. You're coming off that. Attacks always occur when something like that of that nature, when, when, you, when you have a great accomplishment, decision, or victory. An attack, Satan's means of trying to establish a spiritual strong in your life. Now let's look at what happened. What was it that he established? What was it that he did very quickly as a way of review from last week? Well, notice some things that he did. <clears throat> Ezekiah, when he came to the throne... He reopened the house of God. He took down the high places. He removed the images. In fact, he took many of those images and he burned them and took them down to the book Kidron. He burned, he cut down the groves. I mean, you're talking about groves of trees where idol images were made. He cut down the groves. He had the priests and Levites sanctify their lives. He came to the leaders of Israel and says, hey, judgment must begin in the house of God. We've got to get our lives cleaned up. He started back up the sin offerings, the peace offerings, and the burnt offerings. He started back up the Passover. He brought back singing and rejoicing. Worship was restored. God's word and obedience was restored. Uh, we, he did all these things suddenly, the Bible says. He, he fought with and defeated the Philistines. I mean, these are the things that he did. That chapter 32 is talking about where it says, chapter 32, 2 Chronicles, where it says he, he did these things and established them. We see the coming of Sennacherib's attack 13 years after all these things happened. Sennacherib comes up. And attacks come after changes and victories and decisions and commitments and answers to prayer. Attacks come when we start something new or in the middle of something we're working on or at the conclusion of such a thing. We see the coming of an attack. We must always be vigilant. Jesus teaches us, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Attacks are always coming. But notice the characteristics of these attacks. Notice in chapter 36, verses 4 to 22. We don't have time to read all the chapter here, but I'm going to give you some highlights about the characteristics of these texts. Notice, and, they, and they're all the same, by the way. They're all the same. First of all, notice there's the taunting in the attack. Now, the enemy begins by playing a mind game with us. When the enemy attacks us, he plays with our mind. He fills our thoughts with negative thoughts and defeated thoughts and discouragement and depression. And we think, oh, woe is me. And we have these perceptions that the problem is bigger than it really is. And we have these thoughts, that the, this perception that the, end, that, that the problem is bigger than God. Notice in verses 4 to 10, the enemy belittles. Notice he sends, he comes to, he sends his captain of his army, Rabshakeh. And Rabshakeh comes and says, say ye now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria. And when he said that, that was an affront against uh, Hezekiah and it was an affront against Almighty God. Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? I say, sayest thou, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. But now on whom dost thou trust or, thou, that, or that thou rebellest against me? And he's coming to him and he's belittling him through his words. He's making him feel intimidated. He's making him feel insignificant. He's making him feel smaller than he really is. The enemy was trying to belittle him. But notice in chapter, chapter 36, verse 10, the enemy taunts us by belittling us, but the enemy taunts us by blaspheming God. He wants us to think that 
God is not capable or able to help us. Notice verse 10 in the same chapter. And am I now come up without the Lord against the land, this land to destroy it? The Lord said unto me, go up against this land and destroy it. Notice if you go a little bit further down, chapter 37, verses 9 to 13. And he heard say concerning Tershaka, king of Ethiopia, he's come forth to make war with thee. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shall not thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Rezif, as the children of Eden, which were in Tilak? Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arphad and the king of the city of Sepharvim and Hena and Iva? And he's talking about these different cities uh, north north of where Jerusalem was, the area of, that we now call the land of Syria. And in that area, those were recent conquests that he made. And he made that. And basically, he's naming all these cities. These were idol worshiping cities. And and Hezekiah knew them very well because the Syrians were a threat to to Judah as well there too. And he says, where are those kings and where are their cities and where are their gods? He says, I've taken their gods and have burned their gods as well there too. The enemy attacks us by taunting us. They speak yet more against the Lord. But notice there's the there's the taunting, but also there's the terror. As he was doing all this, he was inflicting fear and worry and anxiety and concern and uh, these thoughts of terror and fear. He was trying to get them to the point where he was just manipulating their minds and intimidating them. Mark it down. When the enemy attacks us, he wants to work on our minds. He wants to work on our soul. He wants to be filled with fear. He wants to feel like we're intimidated. He wants to feel like we have no hope and God is not for us. Notice here that the as we read through chapter 36 and 37, there is the worry from the enemy. The enemy wants us to worry and be filled with anxious care. He wants us to have sleepless nights. He wants us to miss our meals. He wants us to go into depression. I mean, that's how he worked on, 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 on Elijah when we read that over in 1 Kings 19. The enemy's trying to weaken us. The enemy's trying to make us worry. The enemy's playing mind games. The enemy's trying to shake our confidence and get us to doubt God. The enemy's shifting our thoughts of how great God is to how bad is our situation. We see the taunting. We see the terror. But there's the testing. Would you notice this tonight? In 2 Chronicles 32.2, we're, we're told that Hezekiah saw Zanachrig was come up. He got his eyes on seeing the city of Jerusalem surrounded by the Assyrians. And we do know that the camp that was about them had a minimum of 185,000 soldiers. You think about that for just a minute. That's a lot of soldiers. 185,000 camped around him and Rabshakeh shouting out to them in their language and the king of Assyria taunting them. And you'll notice here that this was a test that when these attacks come, the characteristics that these are testings allowed by God. He allows the enemy to mess with our heads and he allows the enemy to get close to us and he allows the enemy to make an encroachment. He's attacking him. An attack, if you always remember this tonight, an attack is a test. And is the trial allowed by God? We're being tested in our convictions. Do we have the same belief about God during our trial as we did before we went into the trial? It's an attack on our convictions. It's an attack on our resilience. Will we be just as strong in our, when we're attacked, when we're surrounded by 185,000 Assyrian soldiers as we were when we weren't attacked by them? It's an attack on our resilience. It's an attack on our faith and belief. It's we're being tested in our strength. In all of these areas, he was being tested and we get tested. And the Lord Lord wants to see what are we really made out of? Are we really as tough as we say we are? Is our prayer life really as big as we say it is? Is our faith really as strong as we say it is? Are we dotting the whole armor of God as we say we are? I'm just saying tonight, as we look at this man, Hezekiah, we see the we see he has a perplexing problem. We see he's under attack. Notice not only the characteristic, but you notice in chapter 37, verses 1 to 3, notice the consternation. Now, all that's going on in chapter 36 just didn't happen over one day. It could have been two days, it could have been several days. But the army of the Syrians were coming back to them and taunting them and terrorizing them. Hezekiah is feeling the pressure. His soldiers around him are waiting to see what's the king going to do? Are we going to war? 
they're concerned about their water supply because they're, they're, they're being attacked at the water supply. They're wondering, they know if there's this attack, they can't go outside and they can't get to their crops and it won't be long before the food supply will be exhausted. Notice chapter 37, the consternation. Look at how bad it was to them mentally and spiritually. It says in verse 1, it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes, and he covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord. I mean, Hezekiah, everything that he knew at that point, all he knew was one thing. This is a bigger problem than reopening the house of God. This is a bigger problem than telling the Levites and priests, you got to clean up your act. This is a bigger problem than carrying all the filth out of the house of God, which took them 16 days to do. This is a bigger problem than bringing in all the sacrifices and reestablishing the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. This is a bigger problem than trying to get the whole the whole nation together and all of Jerusalem together. We've got to go back and reinstate the, the, the Passover. We've got to get things right and get the worship of God right and get the people going. This was something bigger than that. He got everybody to respond spontaneously as we saw last time to all these things. But now he's dealing with this army of the Assyrians and the reputation of the Assyrians that already preceded them. They had conquered city after city after city. They were atrocious for their, for their acts of cruelty. They were the ones that invented the crucifixion of individuals. They were the ones that inflicted terrible punishment. To be captured by the series was a terrible thing. If you were a pregnant woman, they would go up to the pregnant woman and rip the baby right out of her womb. They were, they were hostile. They were aggressive. They were animals. They were pagan. This is the same group now, it, it, was, it was Jerusalem's time and Judah's time and Hezekiah's time. They're under attack. And you notice Hezekiah, he heard all these words. You would think, well, man, everything I've read in the previous chapters, man, he probably must have stood strong. And he must have been resilient. And he must have been courageous. But I'm telling you, even the strong of us, God knows a breaking point in every one of our lives. Hezekiah was at that breaking point. The king, he publicly tore his clothing, the symbol of remorse. He's weeping. He doesn't know what to do. He's not sure what to tell his army. And he goes to the house of the Lord. Where else would you go? He's looking for God. By the way, God wasn't hard to find. Amen. God was there. In verse 2, he said, Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elder of the priests covered with sackcloth. Likewise, the priests were in mourning. They're praying about God, what do we do? And, unto, and they sent unto Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they're saying, man, we need help. And I'm not going to my generals. I'm not going to the CIA. I'm not going to the Department of Defense. And he had a good one. I've got to get a man who can get a hold of God. He looked at Isaiah and he said, send Isaiah. And when Isaiah came, they, these men came to Isaiah. This is what, this is how they described the situation. This is how Hezekiah relayed to his messengers what to say to Isaiah. Would you notice in the verse three? He said, this day is a day of trouble or consternation. This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy. God has been blasphemed. We have been rebuked. We are in trouble. Notice the description. The children are come forth to the birth, but there's no strength to bring forth. He says, for the children are come to the birth, and there's not strength to bring forth. Can you imagine in that description he gives how weak they were? How powerless they were. He's given the description of a woman who's about to give birth, and she has no ability to give birth. She's so weak. She has no ability. The baby's stuck. The baby won't come out. The baby, the mother is in, is, is in travail, but she doesn't have strength to get it out. And he's describing their situation as being at birth and then unable, not having strength to get this done. They are weak. He's in great consternation. He's realizing during this time, he has a perplexing problem. He's under attack. I wonder tonight, am I talking to a brother or a sister 
or a family or a couple or a teenager or a student or a single person, someone that's under some type of an attack. You're feeling the pressure. You're feeling the oppression. You're feeling the worry. You sense the fear. Your nights are sleepless and your days are long. You're sensing tonight that there's an attack that's happening in your life. Hezekiah was facing a perplexing problem. But you notice something else so tonight. We go from the problem and notice chapter 37, the main context of our passage tonight. We go from a perplexing problem which you notice the persuasive prayer. Now I thank the Lord tonight this church, our church as a whole embraces the power of prayer. That's a wonderful thing. Amen. I'm thankful that this year when we had Dr. Van Gelderen in that a good number, if not all of our church that was present during those services, those spring revival services, have taken on the project and the endeavor of praying a minimum of an hour a day. And I'm so thankful the reports I still get of those who are praying an hour a day and the change that's happened in their lives. Sinful habits that have been forsaken. Marriages that have been fixed. Lives that have been helped through that situation. Souls that are being saved because of that. Just that extra time they're spending with God. And tonight I want you to see, we're going to go a step further tonight in studying one of the model prayers. And studying the prayer of Hezekiah this evening in verses 14 20. In fact, it's one of two prayers that we find Hezekiah praying. Hezekiah, during those first 14 years, was a great man of prayer. There's not a whole lot that people say about him, but there's a lot we can learn about Hezekiah's praying. And I've, I've given the description of his praying as persuasive praying. Sometimes we call it, the old preachers called it prevailing in prayer. And you can call that as well there too. But I'm going to call it persuasive praying. How did he pray to get God to respond? How did he pray to get God to move? And how did he pray in such a way that there was supernatural intervention that Hezekiah did not have to do anything except trust in God for his deliverance. And mind you, he had a big problem on his hands, a problem bigger than him, a problem that his army could not solve, his department of defense could not solve, his intelligence could not solve, his princes could not solve, Isaiah could not even solve it per se by his presence. It was something only God himself could do. You'll notice the elements of his praying, how God intervened for him. Persuasive prayer is how we get on praying ground and see answers to our prayer. What you notice Four components of persuasive praying very quickly tonight. First of all, notice with me in verse 16, his declaration. In his declaration, he says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. By the way, he's still God and God alone. Amen. Live all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou has made heaven and earth. He makes a declaration. Listen, prevailing prayer. Persuasive prayer doesn't begin with an abruptness and entering to the presence of God. Well, God, i got to unload my burden on you and tell you everything that's on my heart. And no, it doesn't begin the way. Persuasive prayer begins by understanding we're entering into the holiest of holy places. We're entering into the very presence of Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. And when Hezekiah calls upon him, just the very starting point of his prayer, O Lord of hosts, he, the Lord of hosts is a Hebrew word that talks about God being in charge of the greatest army in all the world. And by the way, it's the greatest army in all the universe. Praise God for that. And he's recognizing his army was great, but not greater than the Lord of hosts. And he's calling upon the commander of chief, the commander of chief of the largest, most powerful army of all the universe. He comes to God. He says, God, I need you. I wonder tonight, do you know who God is? Do you spend time in the presence of God, asking God, telling God what you know about him? Do you study your Bible to find nuggets of gold to say, God, today I've learned this about you. And God, I call upon you as God who's everlasting. And today I call upon you as the Lord who provides. And Lord, today I call upon you as the chief shepherd and bishop of my soul. Do you know who God is? Have you experienced Him in your life? Have you experienced Him in the Word of God? Have you walked daily through the Word to, to let God challenge you about His very presence, about His personality, about His characteristics, and about His attributes? Do you know who God is? Do you come to Him with the understanding that He's God and not you? Uh, who God is to you determines what God God will do for you. If he's a little God with a little G, don't expect to see God work in behalf. But if he's the only God with a large G, expect God to do something great for you. Amen. Victorious praying begins with the acknowledgement of God and His authority. Look at verse 14. Notice the ways in which he acknowledges God. And I have so much to say, but we don't have time. Notice, first of all, he acknowledges God who's creator. Now, that's the starting point. Would you notice him? If you study the Bible... 
And recorded prayers, every one of those recorded prayers, if they're more than one verse, at least one verse or so, they always acknowledge God as creator. Because those old time believers understood one thing. Those Old Testament, New Testament believers, they understood one thing. The world just didn't happen. It wasn't a cosmic blast. It wasn't something that came out of nowhere. God created the world. He spoke the word and the worlds came into existence. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. Hebrews 11.3. We know that by his word, the worlds were established. He calls upon God who is created. Look at him. He says, thou art the God, even thou of all the kingdom of the earth thou hast made heaven and earth you know what do us some good just to begin our daily time with God by just reflecting all the matters of creation and going through Genesis chapter 1 reminding ourselves that everything that God created he looked upon it and he saw it and that it was good and that things which happened were not made by things which do appear how God breathed the breath of life into Adam he took him out of sand and a dirt and made him into a living being and he breathed into him the breath of life God is creator thou hast made heaven and earth he speaks of God who is creator. Notice he speaks of God who is constant. He says, thou art the God, even thou alone. You see, the idol gods that the pagan people worshipped, those gods would change. Those gods had a different face. Those gods had a different personality. You look at all the different religions of the world. I think of Hinduism. They've got all these millions of gods. They're not, they're all different. But our God, the God of the Bible, the God who's created heaven and earth, he is the same. He is a constant. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Look at his very essence of holiness. His holiness tells us that he is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never changing. He's the same in His righteousness. He's the same in His holiness. He's the same in His love. He's the same in His mercy. He's the same in His love and His pity upon you and I. Oh, thank God tonight that we have a God that's constant tonight. He's a God who's creator. He's a God that's constant. Hey, let me tell you something. He's God who's commander God. Amen? As he's talking to God, oh Lord, God of hosts, he's acknowledging God, you're the commander in chief, you're the one in charge. Hey, listen tonight, he's commander God of the local New Testament church. He's commander God over every life that's in submission to him. He's commander God over all things. Listen, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He, as the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. He's God who's creator. He's God who's constant. He's God who's commander. Notice God in his characteristics. Oh Lord of hosts, God of Israel. Victorious praying is always centered on the fact that God is, Hebrews eleven six. Not God was, because if God was, that means God is not the same. God is. God is, amen? amen. Say it with me tonight. God is. God is. God is real. God is alive. God is powerful. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And listen, God is the God who parted the Red Sea. It's the God who is the God who held the sun still for Joshua. It's the God who is the God, the God who moved the stone and Jesus came out of the tomb. He's the God who is. He's not a God who was washed up. He's not a God who was. He's the God who is this evening. He's God who's faithful and just. He's God who's immortal and visible. He's God only wise. He is God who is our Savior. He is God who is merciful. He is God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He is God who is for us and not against us. He is God who is greater. He is God who is forgives. He is God of all grace. He is God who is manifest in the flesh and seen of angels and justified in the spirit and preached unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world and received up into glory. He's God who is. He's God who died for the sins of all of mankind. He's God. He's God of the church. He's the God who answers prayer. He is my God. And by the way, he can be your God tonight as well. There too. That's the characteristics of his praying. Oh, man, I'll tell you in one verse, he's making these declarations about God. God is creator and God is constant and God is commander and God and his characteristics. But notice he says something else. He's God who's conqueror. Oh, Lord of hosts, God of Israel. He wanted to make a very solemn declaration a moment of time. God, I want you to understand. Yes, we have these presence of idols that tempt us and we've got all these surrounding nations. But God, I've tried to do the best I could in these last 13 years to lead your people to understand one thing. You are the God of Israel. I've cut down the groves. I've taken the images and burned at the brook Kidron. He said, I've taken down the high places. I've taken that brass serpent and I told them it's Nahushan. It is nothing but a piece of brass. I've done all those things. They had to understand that God is God who is created. 
Creator and God who is God who is conqueror. He said, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, listen tonight, we can come to God and realize in this evening that we can make this declaration. And as we begin our praying, as we enter the presence of God, there must be this holy, set-apart, submissive declaration that who God is. Listen, let's begin our praying time by declaring God that you are God alone. By declaring He's the Lord who is our shepherd. And He's the Lord who heals. And He's the Lord who is our banner. And He's the Lord who is our peace. And He's the Lord who is our righteousness. And He's God who is everlasting. And He's God who sees. I mean, all these things, we should be so enamored and caught up in our hearts and minds about who God is that when we, by the time we begin asking God to do something, we already know that the answer is on the way. We see the declaration, but notice he's defensive in his praying. Verse 16, he makes profound and necessary declaration. Notice verses 14 and 15. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. In our modern-day vernacular, that would be like being served a lawsuit. That would be like getting an email bomb. Ever get an email bomb, amen? That would be getting a letter in the mail that just ripped you apart. And he took this letter that came from Sennacherib, and he read it, it tore him to shreds, ripped him apart, made him feel this small, made him even for those, for maybe just a few seconds, to doubt his faith, to even think maybe they're right, maybe they're right. Is God really real? The Bible says, verse 14, Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. And he spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. You take your problem. You take your situation. You go to a spot that's sanctified, set apart for God. Laid out on the floor. Drop on your face before God. And you pray about the situation. He's defensive and he's praying. He doesn't know what to do. And this is perhaps the most valuable place for you and me to be at in our life. Is to be at the place where we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. Our mind is spinning. Our world is upside down. Our soul is in turmoil. Our heart is experiencing great palpitations. We're going through all this turmoil in our lives. We're wondering what's going on. And if you haven't been there, hold on tight. The day's coming. The attacks are coming. One of the weirdest, weirdest things going on in the world right now. I don't know if it's just unique to the United States. I don't know if it's just unique to the Bay Area. Are the numbers of people, and even including Christians, experiencing the severity of panic attacks. Their pulses are racing at the same time every night and at the same time every morning. They're breaking out in sweats. Their palpitations of their heart, they feel like their heart's about to jump out. Where they'll call 911 because they think they're having a heart attack. Their sleeplessness, their mind is locked on something. Some kind of paranoia. Something that the devil has taken and turned it into a stronghold in their lives. They just can't let go. They have sleepless nights. They have long days. They're, un- they're unable to function. They're finding themselves decreasing and diminishing in their ability. Their focus, their ability to be real with people and things. And they feel like they're, they're withdrawing from things. I mean, attacks are real. When Hezekiah was at this place, he felt so insignificant. He felt so powerless and small. And he took this situation and he spread it before the Lord. Listen, his praying made a declaration, but his praying was defensive. We must understand, we are under attack. And we're under attack. Our, the first point we need, the first thing we must look at is, we, our praying must be defensive in nature. He's defensive praying is when we lay out the problem to the Lord. Defensive praying is when we do our fighting on our knees. Realize it's not with bows and arrows. It's not with automatic weapons. 
It's not with poison gas or things like that. Our praying is on our knees. And so he spreads it before the Lord. What is defensive praying? How do, how do you define defensive praying? Well, let me give you some thoughts tonight. Defensive praying is Ephesians 6.18. After we put on the whole armor of God, it says this in verse 18. We are praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. It's almost like the soldiers in the foxhole who've got one eye closed, trying to get some rest, but the other eye open, knowing that the enemy's going to attack. They're watching thereunto with all perseverance. It's like a watchman on top of the tower, realize if he falls asleep, he puts the city at risk, and he slaps himself on the face, and he tries to do everything he can to keep himself awake, and he paces back and forth up on the top of that wall there, so that the enemy can be seen, and that he doesn't fall asleep, and he stays alert. Listen, defensive praying, as we're praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit for all saints, we keep our prayer list with us. We keep a number of people on our mind or heart that we're praying for. Defensive praying is Ephesians 6, 16, where it says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Hey, listen, the greatest way we exercise faith is on our knees. The greatest way we exercise faith is by praying and asking God to do something. According to Hebrews 11, we're asking God to do the impossible. We're asking God to represent us and do something we cannot do. Defensive praying is when we take that shield of faith and as the fiery darts of the evil one as those arrows are being shot at us we put up our shield of faith through prayer and we absorb and take those fiery darts the bible says they enable us to quench they quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one defensive praying was jude 20 when we're praying in the holy ghost defensive praying was colossians 4 12 like epaphras of, of the church of Colossae. we're laboring fervently in our prayers for all the saints at all times defensive praying is elijah praying for fire and for rain on mount carmel even though he was outnumbered 800 to 1. Defensive praying is Jabez, whose name meant sorrow, who was born in sorrow, praying for God to bless him and enlarge his coast. Defensive praying is Nehemiah building the wall and praying for help while the wall is being built. Defensive praying is Daniel doing his best praying before he went into the lion's den, not when he went into the lion's den. A lot of Christians think that the best praying I do is when I'm in the trial. I'm going to tell you tonight, best praying you're going to ever do happens before the trial even comes. Do you ever notice in Daniel chapter 6, no mention is made about Daniel praying in the lion's den? But a lot is said about Daniel praying when the law was passed that he couldn't pray anymore. Defensive praying. Defensive praying is Joshua as he's fighting those five kings in that central area of his, of his land, praying for the sun to stand still for another day. Hey, listen, we love this man Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is teaching some things about defensive praying. He's just laying the need out before God and he makes this declaration to God. His praying, there's a declaration in his praying. There's a defensiveness in his praying. But notice the dependence in his praying. Look at verse 17. Incline thy ear, O Lord. And here. You know what he's saying there? Lord, let me bend your ear. Lord, would, can I have your attention? Lord, I know that there's lots of other people praying, but Lord, can you just give me your undivided attention for just a moment? Incline thy ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thy eyes, O Lord, and see. Lord, I know that your eyes can be all many, many things, but Lord, I, I kind of need you right now to kind of zone in on where my problem is. And I need you to zone in right here to Jerusalem. And I need you to zone in right here to the house of God. And I need you to zone in on my problem. I need you to hear and I need you to see. He wasn't being mean. He wasn't being, he wasn't being, 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 being a, a jerk in his praying. He was just being bold in his praying. He says, God, I need you right now. I really need your attention. Don't be distracted right now. Don't be giving your time to somebody. Lord, I just need you right now to help me right there i've listened a lot of people pray or should be praying and the praying is so anemic why would god want to help us if we're anemic in our praying why would god want to help us if we don't feel like we mean business with god if we haven't started with an with a decoration of his person and we haven't been defensive in our praying listen hezekiah here in verse these verses 70 20 is just giving his complete dependence upon god He said, Lord, hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he sent, listen to this, to reproach the living God. Now, he didn't want to die. He was 39 years old, okay? He didn't want to die. And he could have said, Lord, I don't want to die at 30. That's not what he said. I'm sure that was in his mind. 
I don't think he was thinking about his about the death of his wife or the death of Isaiah or going into slavery. He knew all the atrocious things that the Assyrians did. He knew about all those things. What concerned him after he made the declaration, Lord, there he says, he's reproached the living God. It bothered him that, that Sennacherib was cursing out God. It bothered him that God said what God wasn't real. It bothered him that he said, who do you think your God is? you think your God's going to deliver you? Listen, the gods of these other nations, God, the Assyrians and all the others are going to help them. What makes you think your God is going to help you? You're just like a reed shaken by the wind. Who do you think you are, Hezekiah? In verse 19, he says, in verse 18, he says, Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to nations and their, and, their, and, their, and their countries. And he said this, And they've cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. They wanted to send a statement. The Assyrians were so atrocious, they had no respect for any other nation. They had no respect for any other's belief. They had no respect for anybody else where they stood. All they knew is one thing. We're going to conquer you and conquer your land, conquer your religion, conquer your... And by the way, that's what happens with an attack. An attack wants to conquer your belief. An attack from Satan wants to conquer your conviction. An attack from Satan wants to conquer your morals. An attack from Satan wants to conquer your love. He can take a loving person and make a loving person a bitter person. He can take a beautiful person and make them an ugly person. He can take a person that's accommodating, merciful, and make them an unforgiving person because when a tech comes, his goal is to morph you, to make you just like him. <clears throat> Look at verse 20. Now, therefore, o Lord, our God, save us from their hand, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. He said, Lord, Snacker's reproaching you. Lord, we're scared and we're anxious. Lord, we're in trouble. Lord, we're surrounded. Lord, we're over our heads. Lord, the problem's bigger than us. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Right there at that moment, Hezekiah took a big leap forward in his Christian maturity. Because he showed to God, he showed to the nation for 13 years. Look what I can do. And he could have been puffed up with self-righteousness. Look what I did. I reopened the doors. I cleaned up the filth. I reestablished the sacrifice. I did this, I did that. Hey, you know, we don't, we're not very careful. We can be so accomplishment-driven that we become so boastful and so arrogant about what we did. Look at my accomplishments. Look at these things. Hey, it's not look what I did. Look how God got the glory. That's not what he said. He said, Lord, it's not about me. I'm like a little baby. Help us, Lord. Help us. Listen to me tonight. I believe one of the reasons why our praying bounces off the ceilings. And we wonder sometimes, why does God answer? And sometimes God doesn't answer. Aside from God's perfect will, I believe a lot of times it's because we don't really prove to God that we really need him. We need Him when we want Him. And many times God has to put something very big, very overwhelming. And this was big. And this was overwhelming. Because two things were happening that were bigger bigger than Hezekiah. Number one, three things actually. Number one, God's name was being blasphemed. Number two, there were many lives in the city of Jerusalem that were at risk. Number three, the fate of the succession of the Davidic line leading to the birth of Christ was at stake there too. You forget about that. Every attack on a king in Judah was an attack on the Messianic line because Satan saw the bigger picture. That seed that was promised of the woman in Genesis 3.15, he wanted to make sure that seed wouldn't be born. If he was successful in taking out Hezekiah, he would have broken the lineage. So we see situations bigger than Hezekiah. Do you need God's help? Are you saying, God, help me? 
Do you realize God is all you have and God is all you need? Lord, save us. It's like Jehoshaphat when he prayed, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Is praying like the nobleman in John chapter 4 whose son was at the point of death and he walked 15 miles through the mountains to come from Capernaum down to Cain of Galilee and he said to Jesus, he said, Sir, come down here, my son died. It's like the Syrophoenician woman when Jesus came to Tyre and Zion he only went there for one purpose, that was to see that woman. He went to see a Gentile woman and she had more faith than the Jews who were with him. And there in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus goes to the Syrophoenician woman. He says, well, you know, it's not proper for me to give bread to the dogs. And she said, truth, Lord, you're right. He was talking about her being a Gentile. She said, but Lord, the dogs even go under the table to eat the crumb. She says, I don't, he says, you can call me dog. In fact, the word she used for dog was a little puppy. I don't mind being a little puppy because I'll eat the crumbs and take, I'll take the crumbs if that's what it'll take to get my daughter well. Hey, we need to be a place where we're willing just to bend ourselves and humble ourselves just like that Syrophoenician woman. What's amazing, Jesus went there just for one lady. By the way, Jesus will come to you just for your problem, your attack, your issue. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 right here. Notice one other thing. We see his declaration in his praying. We see his defensiveness in his praying. We see his dependence in his Would you notice verse 20, something else that's amazing? Would you notice his desire in this prayer? Now, these are the elements of a persuasive prayer. First tested and proven by Hezekiah. And by men of God and women of God who desire to see God work in life, who practice the same principles... And here's the thing that tops it all off. Yes, his praying was defensive. And yes, his praying was dependent. And yes, his praying made a declaration. Those are all important elements. But I want you to notice, all of those without the last one, he couldn't get his prayer answered. And the last thing he says in verse 20, would you notice this? He says in verse 20 there, he says, Now now therefore, Lord our God, save us from his hand. Notice that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Hey, you know what? His praying was missionary in its endeavor. His praying was for the glory of God. His praying is that God would get the glory. His praying was that so that everyone would see what God was going to do, that God would get the glory. And he said, here's what I want them to know, Lord. The Syrians have been defeated. The Philistines have been defeated. The Ethiopians have been defeated. The Egyptians have been defeated. The Jews on the verge of being defeated. I mean, all the nations around us are being defeated. He says, everybody's got to know out there their defeated sense who've been already attacked. They need to know all the nations of the world who've already been attacked. They need to know that God is alive. That's what missions is about. We send a missionary over to a foreign soil so that those people in the foreign soil would know that God is alive. He says that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord. And that woman had a perplexing problem. He gives us the principles for persuasive praying, and as we close tonight, very quickly. But you notice a perfect preclusion. A preclusion is when something that is supposed to happen is kept from happening. Sennacherib is precluded from bothering Hezekiah. Now, militarily, if you look at the situation, he had Hezekiah in his hand. The victor should have been his. I think if you took any unsaved military strategists and put them right here in the scripture without them knowing what, how, how, did, how this thing turned out, they would say, well, he had, he had, the, he had it in his pocket. He had it in his hand. He had Hezekiah beaten. He had him already beaten mentally. He had him beaten emotionally. They're ready to surrender. They've torn their clothes. They're, they're weeping. They're mourning. They're thinking about all these things are going to happen. They're thinking, at the worst case scenario, we'll become slaves and we don't know what kind of persecution is going to happen. But that's not what happens. We see a perfect preclusion. Listen, God heard the prayer of Hezekiah and God answered that prayer exceeding abundantly above all that he asked or think. Notice in 2 Chronicles 32.20, would you notice how this preclusion comes about and we're done? In 2 Chronicles 32, 20, first thing we see in this preclusion, we see a trusted ally. 
The report goes from Hezekiah to Isaiah. He spread the, the news out in the house of God first. He prayed about his problem first. He laid it out before God. He probably spent a night or several nights in prayer. And then he took the same problem. He sent some messengers to go, go tell Isaiah what's going on. We got to get Isaiah on the same page. And Isaiah comes alongside. And here in, 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 in Kings and in Isaiah it doesn't say this, but Chronicles tells us this. It tells us this in 2 Chronicles 32 20. And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. Hey, I'm thankful tonight there was an answer to prayer. There were two or more gathered together in His name and God came down upon two men wholly surrendered, wholly submissive, wholly humble, wholly meek. They came under God's conditions. They prayed the same way and God came down and there was a powerful preclusion that God gave them. Best thing you could do for your life you find yourself a prayer partner whose heart like your heart. Same desire. He had Levites. He had priests. Above them he had Isaiah. Tell Isaiah. Isaiah is the same one who told Hezekiah's father, Hey, listen, that Pika and reason, they're out to get you. But don't worry, here's what you do. Ask of me of the heights above and of the depths beneath. It doesn't matter. Let your imagination go wild. There's no ceiling on your prayer. There's no bottom of your prayer. Ask of the heights above, the ceiling below, the depths below, whatever it may be, and I'll give it to you. And Ahaz, Hezekiah's father said, I will not ask the Lord. Hezekiah said, I'm not going to make the same mistake my daddy did. Let me tell you something. Your daddy's not praying. You pray. You pray. Your husband doesn't pray, you pray. Your wife doesn't pray, you pray. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change you. You still need to pray. You had a trusted ally. Notice in verses 33-35, Isaiah gives him a truthful assurance. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before with shield, nor cast a, a bank. You know what he's saying? He's not going to bother you. Nothing's going to be disturbed. He's not going to bother you. He's not going to mess with you. There will no arrow come over the wall in this city. That was what God told Isaiah to tell that man. He says, by the way that he came, by the same way shall he return and shall not come into the city. I mean, God was very animated. He's not going to come into the city. He said, look, you're protected. I got a hedge around you, buddy. Now, if you're going to attack... It's either God is allowing you to be attacked to get you to pray or you've superseded God by doing it your way. You've left a breach there and that breach has left the hedge broken and Satan is making all out of salt in your life. And I would tell you tonight, if that's true, you better get that breach fixed tonight at the altar. Amen. God said in verse 35, I'll defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now listen how God talked to him. God was answering him in accordance to the persuasive praying that just preceded that. Then notice the triumphant action we're done. Verse 36, then the angel of the Lord went forth. Where's Hezekiah's armies? Hey, they didn't have to don their armor. They didn't have to gird their swords. They didn't have to grab their bows and arrows. No one had to pick up a shield. No one had to pick up a habergen. Nobody had to pick up any material. Hey, listen, we get so caught up with our G.I. Joe mentality. It's not G.I. Joe that God's going to bless. It's when you're dependent upon God that God's going to bless. And the angel Lord went forth. This morning, the camp of the Syrians. hundred and four score and eighty and fourth and five thousand. And when they rose early in the morning, they were all dead corpses. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in their armor, their swords at their sheath, lying on the ground as dead corpses. God intervened. God solved the problem without Hezekiah's help. God solved the problem without Hezekiah's strategic planning. 
God solved the problem without Hezekiah lifting a finger. God solved the problem because God would be honored and glorified that all the nations of the world would know that there's one God and one God alone. Snackrip saw he was whooped. What an embarrassing moment. He left that area, got in his chariot and left. The Bible says he went back home. Went back to Nineveh. Same place where Jonah went to preach. Not too long before that. And isn't it kind of an irony? He's, he's worshiping the house of his God. We saw before that Hezekiah is praying in the house of his God. And the house of Hezekiah, the house of God Hezekiah is in, God gives life. The house that Sennacherib's praying in, there's death. There's death. There's no hope. Those gods could nothing for him. His two sons came and said, Dad, you're a failure. They drew the swords and killed their dad while he was praying. You know what it tells me tonight? If you look at Proverbs 21 and we're done, look at Proverbs 21, verse 30, 31. This is a time-tested principle. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. You know what he's saying there? It's futile for us to fight with God. There's no wisdom nor counsel, nor understanding against them. But notice verse 21, 31, excuse me. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know what he's saying there? Get ready to fight, but let God fight for you. Hey, Amen. That's what he said. That's what happened here. Same principle. A perfect preclusion. This story reminds me what God did last Friday up in Sacramento when AB 2943, the bill, was withdrawn. That's exactly what God did there. Exactly what God did there. There are so many stories. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you tonight as we close, we need to get on that bandwagon with Hezekiah. It's a good thing to be helpless. If that gives you a demonstration of God's power, it's better to be helpless to learn God's power. Listen, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Let God fight your battles. You're under attack. Maybe attack's on the way. Facing a perplexing problem. He's struggling how to pray and see God work like He did for Hezekiah. It's right here. Our persuasive prayer. Would you come to God for help? Would you lay out the problem before God? Write it out. A lot of times people come for counsel. I say, write it out. Take off your watch. Unplug the clock, lay it out before God. When God says get up, then get up. Until God says get up, stay there. Just stay there. Cancel your appointments, just stay there. We want a preclusion, but he had better than that. He had a perfect preclusion. God solved it better than he could have. He learned something about angelology that day. The angels of the Lord encamp around about them that fear him. By the way, leading to that, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all his troubles. Tonight, the remedy for attack is right here. Persuasive praying. Let's take our prayer lives. Don't capsulize it. Take your problem. Laid out before God. Come to the house of God like He did. Laid out before the Lord. Father, tonight, <clears throat> we need what Hezekiah had. What a sure remedy for the answers to prayer. How to do spiritual warfare. <clears throat> what to do when we're under attack. What he did was not easy. What he did, there was an element of grace that was working his life. And tonight I pray as a people of God that we'd grasp hold of 
these elements of persuasive praying, His declaration, His acknowledgement of who you are. God, you're of holy. You're of pure eyes and can behold evil. God, we think about His defensiveness in His praying. He was like that nobleman, Sir, come down, or my son die. He was dependent upon his praying. He had a desire to his praying. He said, Lord, above all this, do it. So, Lord, you get the glory. Not for me, but so that people who do not know the Lord will come to know the Lord. Father, I pray tonight for a revival of our prayer lives, a submission of our situations. I pray for attacks that perhaps some are going through, attacks that some will start going through, maybe even tonight or tomorrow. God, I pray for great deliverance. I pray for great transformation that you'll give us through our praying and our trust in the Lord. Father, thank you for the example of Hezekiah. And maybe tonight someone's here who's not saved. They need to know, come to know Christ as their Savior. Help them tonight to trust you and believe you. We commit this invitation time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Pianist is going to play. If you need to come, you stand right now. Come. Find your place with God. If there's some need of concern, would you pray that before God? By the way, we need some persuasive praying for the, the special uh, music outreach on September 16th. As our choir, orchestra, and this other group is coming, we really we're praying for God to do something. Let's stand. Those of you who need to pray, stand. You come meet with God in prayer. Don't let it be another night. You're under attack. Some issue going on. You need to get a hold of God. Get a hold of God. Marriage is under attack. Jobs are under attack. Students are under attack. I mean, it's attack of the mind. Attack of the soul. Temptations. We need to get a hold of God. So God can get a hold of us. Let's do that tonight. Father, thank you for being great and powerful. Thank you for the promise in 1 John 4, 4. You're of God, little children. For greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Thank you, God, that you are greater. Thank you tonight that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Thank you that you're the God of all grace and the God of love, the God of comfort. And tonight we call upon you as the God of peace who bruises Satan under our feet now. You're the blessed and only potentate, the, the, lamb, the lamb of glory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Tonight we humble ourselves before you, recognizing through the name of your son Jesus Christ that neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Father, we pray for sinners to come to Christ. We pray tonight that you'll help stir us, help us to meditate and think about what we've heard tonight and then this evening lord we pray for endeavors that are set more for the next several days please use us and help us to do all we can lord to having a great turnout on sunday night and sunday morning on the 16th of september just two sundays from now 10 days from now lord we pray for a large number of lost people here and maybe people have dropped out of church and need to just come back and lord we pray through the ministry of music and the preaching word that god will stir up hearts and bring many people to christ father we commit to we can't do it of ourselves. You promised that you'd build the church, and we want to be careful. We're not trying to do it in our effort, but trusting God. Please have your way through us. Please help those with burdens and concerns. Uh, I'm looking tonight at the Feliciano family. We pray for uh, Jaime tonight, who's uh, going through dialysis. We pray for special mercies for him. And, Lord, for a suitable kidney donor, I think of Jesus Mendoza, or tonight, who's, who's in, he's going to have uh, a very serious brain surgery uh, uh, later this month. And, God, for Jean Yi, who's going to have surgery in a couple of days. We just pray, pray and ask you this hour for divine intervention for these needs. And then meet the needs of the burdens and hearts here tonight. Father, help us to look forward to going to Sunday for a great day in the house of God. We pray, Lord, for uh, souls to be saved between now and then. We pray for baptisms that are going to be lined up. And, Lord, for hearts to make solid decisions for Christ. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, quickly, I need to let you go. The Joyful Ladies have their monthly Bible study tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Ladies, be here and see Mrs. Fong about something you can bring for
for that. It's just a good time of fellowship and praying for a good number of our ladies to be there for tomorrow. Join them for that. Some of you need to make some new friends and uh, maybe rekindle some old ones. Just come tomorrow and make some friendships for that and be encouraged by the Word of God. We still are open for our faith promise commitments. You can turn those in. And then our fall music uh, outreach, our outreach concert is on next Sunday, the 16th. It's going to be a wonderful event. Take some of those cards. Help us get those out. All of us have been out so far. We're just getting very good reception from people about that. So just invite who you can. Let's fill up the house of God and have a wonderful, wonderful night for that. You pray for that. Be it so many this Saturday. Pray for a great day in church. Thank you for being here. God bless you. You're dismissed.